glad to be able to have the opportunity to share with you guys again this week. Um, as many of you were aware, we didn't have our church service last week because of the uh, temperatures and because of the weather. And so we're thankful to be back together again this week. We started a series um, uh, two weeks ago called God's at War. And uh, in this series, last the last time we were together, we talked about the fact that um, there are these competing false gods that are at war on the battleground of our hearts, uh, trying to win our hearts over. And uh, so we're going to continue each week now as we continue to move forward, we'll kind of focus in on some specific um, idols, some, some, some specific false gods uh, that are in our lives. Um, we just had this past week was the winter break for those of you who have students that are school aged. And uh, one of the things that me and my oldest daughter, Eliana, love to do is uh, we, we're, we're crafty, artsy sort of people. So we love making things, creating things, building things. And so uh, we'll go online and we'll find something that we want to try to make, whether it be out of Play-Doh or whether it be some kind of little crafty thing, a picture, something we'll draw. And one of my favorite things to do, actually, is, um, is to uh, check out um, Pinterest fails. Um, if you are familiar with Pinterest, it's a place where people post uh, pictures of, of wonderful things that they have made or done, whether it be food or cosmetic stuff or uh, things that they, that they make, different little uh, trinkets and stuff. And so it's a place for ideas. It's a place to, to uh, kind of collaborate together and share a hive-minded notion of, of creative stuff. And so people go to Pinterest, not me personally because I don't have a Pinterest account, don't worry. And um, so people will go to Pinterest and they'll find different things. So like, oh, I'm doing something for a wedding. And so you can find eight bajillion things that have to do with weddings on there. But So people will go on, they'll find these beautiful things and then attempt to recreate them themselves. And depending on the level of skill that those individuals have, you get some very mixed results. Results. And so I love going around and looking for Pinterest fails. I have a few of my favorites that I want to show you this morning. So let's take a look. As Easter comes, you may be interested in, ma in making a beautiful little lamb cake to uh, share as dessert for your friends. And so uh, somebody went online, found the perfect example, and uh, made an exact replica of the original. They definitely nailed it. Let's take a look at the next one here. So a little hedgehog cake up there. Cute little, uh, cute little spring or fall cake to make, and uh, something went horribly, horribly awry. I, I'm curious at what point those, those fake denture teeth went in there. I have to imagine they were just like, all right, they're taking this all the way at this point. So let's make this the scariest possible thing ever. One of my favorite things that uh, people go online for is they see pictures and they want to try to duplicate some of the same things, especially when it comes to babies. So here's the next one. So beautiful picture of a little baby with some Christmas tree lights for their Christmas card and uh, the totally nailed it. I mean, it's basically the exact same thing, essentially. Um, here's another one, a beautiful little family photo of all the kids together, stacked together, and... Uh, a huge success, a huge success. If you could see close enough, that poor little baby that's holding on for dear life has vomited all over the back of her brother, and uh, just, an, just a precious moment, precious moment. You can also find lots of things for cosmetics with different hairstyles, different beauty makeup applications. Here's one of the, my favorites, some great nail polish. Um, you know, obviously they followed the directions to a T, and the results were fantastic, so... Um, very Christmassy little theme. And uh, we'll take a look at one more here. Making pancakes, the rainbow pancakes for your family in the morning. Who wouldn't love a beautiful stack of rainbow pancakes? So uh, 
It's pretty easy. If I didn't tell you which one was the real one and which one was the reproduction, you may be able to identify it pretty quickly. However, the problem for us is when it comes to these gods at war for our heart, um, they are not such glaring differences uh, between the idols that we choose to worship in place of uh, the one true God. Um, There are a lot of things that sound right, that feel right about a lot of these things that we worship. And the reality is they're just counterfeits. They're fake. They're phony versions of the real thing. There are gods at war within each of us, and there is a battle going on for the throne of our hearts. And there's a lot at stake. The reality is that whichever god is victorious wins control over us and ultimately can affect our destinies. The last time we were together, we identified that every single sin issue that we have can be boiled down to a worship issue. We were created to be worshipers. We were created to worship the one true God. And so the reality is when there's sin, when there's things in our life that is, that is in competition with God, all of those sin issues can be boiled down to and identified as a worship issue in our lives. The things that we choose instead of God are things that we worship in place of God. And until, the God, until these gods are dethroned and the Lord God takes his rightful place, there will not be victory in our lives. Some of the most difficult gods for us to defeat are what we will refer to this morning as the gods of pleasure. The gods of pleasure. And we're surrounded by their influence. The gods of pleasure are everywhere in our culture, especially in the American culture. Uh, If there was a mantra, if there was kind of a saying that our culture lives by, it would be this. If it makes you happy, then do it. Whatever makes you happy, that's what you should do. And the the opposite is also true as well. Whatever whatever doesn't make you happy, well, don't do it. You don't have to do it. And so that is kind of the the culture's mantra. That's uh, how it lives. That's how it directs its path. And when we experience happiness, which is kind of synonymous with this idea of pleasure, there's a part of us that's like, yes, that's what I was made for. Even if you haven't experienced much pleasure in your life, you've experienced enough to know that you want more. It's just the way that, it's just the way that our bodies tick. Um, and it's these gods of pleasure that begin to then whisper into our hearts, wouldn't you like to scratch that itch? Wouldn't you like to satisfy that appetite? Experience that feeling? Wouldn't you love to get that high? And, if, and, and it says to you, I have what you're looking for right here. And so we walk into the temple of pleasure, and there we see the gods of food and sex and entertainment, and on and on and on we could go. There's numerous gods that fall under this god of pleasure, and we won't have time to speak about all of them for sure. But right from the start, these I, I want to make sure that you know, right from the start, these gods of pleasure are not necessarily in and of themselves evil things. Food and sex and entertainment, and uh, these are not evil, inherently evil things. In fact, all of them are gifts from God. And if used correctly, they're gifts of God that will draw us closer to the giver of those gifts. But there's a significant problem that takes place. The problem that takes place is when we take these good gifts and we elevate them to the status of God. When we take what was meant to lure us and draw us into God and we replace God with those things. 
but inside the temple of pleasure, good gifts are turned into God's. Here's one of the biggest catches with the God of pleasure. There's, there's, um, there's something, when we take something good and we make it a God, uh, the pleasure soon begins to die in the process. There's a, um, there's a philosophical ideal um, called the hedonistic paradox. And let me explain what the hedonistic paradox is. Basically, what the hedonistic paradox says is, when we pursue pleasure, the more we pursue it, the less attainable it becomes. So the more we run after something, the more we try to grasp it, the closer we get to catching it, uh, the, the more elusive it becomes. The God of pleasure is a tricky God because it promises one thing, but in fact it offers the exact opposite. Pleasure has a unique trait that the more intensely you chase it, the less likely you are to catch it. The God of pleasure Instead of bringing satisfaction, uh, we, we experience emptiness, and almost immediately, uh, we begin to hunger for more, right? There's this insatiable need to pursue this God of pleasure, and as soon as we get here, all of a sudden, this isn't satisfying anymore, and we keep moving, and we keep pressing, and we keep going after more and more, and so instead of closeness and intimacy we, that we try to find through sexual pleasure, we often experience a sense of greater aloneness. Instead of comfort and happiness that we pursue when we try to eat and feed ourselves, many of us become more sick and more depressed. Two weeks ago, we read uh, in the book of Joshua, and we talked about how Joshua presented to the Israelite people. He basically said, um, he didn't, he basically said, we all worship something. To not worship something isn't an option for us. So we all worship something. So you need to choose what is it that you're going to worship. And so uh, hundreds of years later, uh, in 1 Kings, if you want to flip to 1 Kings, we're going to be there for a moment. In 1 Kings, hundreds of years later, we encounter the same sort of conversation uh, that the prophet Elijah has with the Israelite people. Just to give you a little bit of backstory while you're going there, we'll go to 1 Kings chapter 8. 18. And uh, what has happened here is um, that um, the Israelite people have a lot of competing gods uh, with the one true God. And one of the primary gods that they have given their life into is the God of Baal. And the God of Baal um, primarily in their culture was, the, was a God of weather, right? So he was the one they worshiped. It was an agricultural society, so God of weather, he's, the big, he's a big deal. And so they would worship this God of weather. And so what happens is God decides, I'm not interested any longer in sharing uh, lordship of, of the life of my people. And so he kind of decides to put himself in direct opposition to, the, to this false god, Baal, and he makes it stop raining. And it stops raining for years and years and years and years, and they're in massive drought. And here we are hundreds of years uh, into this process, and, and, um, and Elijah, after the initial question was asked by Joshua, asks them the same question. And this is what he says in 1 Kings 18, verse 21. He says, How much longer will you waver, hobbling between two options? If the Lord is God, follow him. But if Baal is God, then follow him. But the people were completely silent. One of the the big differences between uh, Joshua's um, conversation and Elisha's conversation was that last little bit there. This notion that the people were completely silent. Why? Why would it be 
that after he gives them this charge, they would be completely silent? Is it possible that in the midst of this drought, they didn't want to make a choice? They kind of want to cover their bases, and so we'll worship the Lord God, but we'll also worship the God of Baal, because hopefully he'll, uh, he'll get us out of this situation. And so they said nothing. As we take a closer look at some of the gods of pleasure, I think we will find that the same is true for us as well. When we're, foist, when we're forced to choose between the Lord God and the gods of pleasure, we say nothing. Why? Because we don't want to choose. Because we want both. We want both. So which of these gods of pleasure do you turn to when you're looking for happiness? When you're looking for comfort, when you're looking for release, for escape, to fulfill your desires to feel good. As I mentioned before, there are many gods of pleasure, and I certainly won't be able to speak to all of them, but perhaps one of the, the gods of pleasure uh, that, is, that is the most subtle of God's gifts that we so easily turn into a god is the god of food. And so since I've been standing up here, you've been staring at this little god of the ice cream cone here, this god of food, just, just waiting for me to badmouth your favorite god, no pun intended. And, um, and, and the reason why I, I want to spend a little bit of time talking about this god is because it would give us a picture of how all the gods of pleasure work. Um, and so uh, one of the best ways to understand humanity's infatuation with food is to kind of get it from a different perspective. In fact, let's take a bit obsessed with food. And before all the healthy people in the room start to look down at me for the 45 grams of sugar that's in my vanilla Coke, I want to let you know that the pursuit of healthy eating can also for us become a god as well. <clears throat> Excuse me. <clears throat> Albeit it may be a physically more attractive God, um, it is still a God for us nonetheless. In fact, we sometimes sacrifice more of our time and our money and our energy in pursuing uh, this God of health, in pursuing uh, this God of vanity, which causes us to worship our physical form, which causes us to worship ourselves. Eating is a good thing. Let me make that clear while I drink a sip of, this is not vanilla Coke. Eating is a good thing. Um, I don't want you to think that you're not allowed to eat anymore, you're not allowed to enjoy eating. It's not a sin to enjoy a good meal. But here's the problem. When we take a good gift and we, and, and we put it in the place that only God deserves, when we try to ascribe to any good gift that God gives us the qualities that God alone are supposed to have, that's when it begins to mess things up for us. Just listen to the way that we talk about food and hear the spiritual imagery that's connected with our pleasure of food. We say things like, this cake is heavenly, right? This burger is to die for, right? We've got comfort food. We've got soul food. We've got death by chocolate. There's the nectar of the gods. We even say things like, I thought I had died and gone to heaven, Right? There is this spiritual connection that we have with food. We have taken this good gift that God has given us and we have made it a false God. We have made it an idol in our lives. And please let me clarify again it's not idolatry to enjoy a good meal. The problem comes when we start to look at food to do for us what the Lord God alone should do. Instead of turning to God, how often do we treat our troubled soul, 
like a growling stomach. Think about this. God refers to himself as the comforter. That's a term that he gives himself. He is the God of all comfort. He is ready to talk to us about our day and hear our problems. The Prince of Peace waits to give us his gifts and strengthen us. And he wants you, he wants to be your satisfaction. I heard a quote once that said, A very large part of mankind's ills and of the world's misery is due to the rampant practice of trying to feed our soul with the body's food. We try to feed our spiritual, our spiritual souls with the things that are here on this earth for the point of our physical bodies. And there's a serious problem that takes place. We end up starving ourselves spiritually when we try to feed ourselves with things that were meant to be for the body. If you flip into the Gospel of John, we're going to take a look in chapter 6. And in John chapter 6, um, this is, a, this is a, a pretty familiar passage, I think, for a lot of people if you've been at church for any length of time. In John chapter 6, uh, previous to John chapter 6, Jesus has been preaching. He's out, and there are, there are thousands of, of people, followers of Jesus, who are listening to him speak. And in John chapter 6, there becomes this realization that these thousands of people that have been with him for so long haven't eaten in a long time. And so Jesus... Um, that performs a miracle to feed these 5,000 people. In fact, actually, the 5,000 many biblical scholars recognize that those, are just, those were just the, man, the men that were there, that it was more likely that there was close to 15,000 men, women, and children that were there listening to Jesus. And so Jesus feeds these people, and the day ends, and uh, at the end of a long day, of course, Jesus does what every good Jesus does. He decides to walk across the lake to the other side to get some peace and freaks his disciples out as he's walking on the water and so they make it across the, the lake, and they're in Capernaum now on the other side of the lake. And all the people wake up the next day and realize that Jesus is gone. And so they're like, we got to go find Jesus. And so they go around the lake. They can't walk over it like he did. So they go around the lake, and they find Jesus in Capernaum. And Jesus has a, has a pretty brutally honest uh, interaction with these people. Basically, what he says to them in verse 26 of John chapter 6 is he says that the only reason why, the, why you want to be with me is because I fed you. The only reason why you wanted to be here is because I gave you food. And so Jesus tells them, though they can't see it, that he is the bread that they are looking for. They come wanting to eat, and he offers them himself. But here's the question. Is it enough? Is it enough? The answer to this question sadly comes down in verse 66. We're told that from that moment on, many people stopped following Jesus. For them, Jesus being the bread of life, Jesus being the source of their sustenance, was just not enough for them. We all have to make the same choice. Gods of pleasure have a way of taking us further than we ever meant to go and has a way of demanding more than we ever imagined we would have to pay. Letting go is really hard. Um, I read a story once of a, of a little girl who went into a department store, and when she was in the store, she was checking out all the different things that were there, and she saw um, this little pretend pearl necklace, this little, uh, you know, cosmetic jewelry, little pretend jewelry necklace of pearls. And they were $10, and she didn't have $10, so she, you know, went back home, and she did all of her chores, and she collected as much money as she could to raise the $10 to go and, and purchase uh, this little uh, 
plastic pearl necklace. And as soon as she got it, she loved it. It was, it was one of her favorite things. She put that pearl necklace on and never took it off. Wouldn't take it off for bedtime, wouldn't take it off in the showers. She wore it everywhere. It was everywhere that she went. And so one day her dad comes into her bedroom and he says to her, Jenny, do you love me? Do you trust me? She said, of course, dad, of course I do. And he said, then Jenny, give me your pearls. She's like, dad, dad, you can take my favorite toy, but please don't take my pearls. He said, okay. And he left. The next day he came back to Jenny again. He's like, Jenny, do you love me? Do you trust me? She's like, yes, of course, dad. He said, then Jenny, give me your pearls. She's like, daddy, you can take my favorite doll. Just please don't take my pearls. So the next day came and Little Jenny comes to her dad, and she's got tears in her eyes, and she says, Daddy, you can have my pearls. He takes her pearls, and he reaches into his pocket, and he pulls out a little black velvet case, and he pops it open, and inside was a real string of pearls for her to wear. You see, the reality is for us that he was just waiting for her to let go of the imitation so that he could give her the real thing. The God of pleasure are a cheap imitation, and we must let go of that to receive what God the Father really wants to give us. In Psalm 106, the psalmist is reflecting back on the Israelites, and uh, at this, at, one of the things that he reflects back on is that as Moses is up on Mount Sinai and he's, uh, he's you know, chiseling out, I'm assuming, or God, I think, made the Ten Commandments for him. However that happened, he's getting the Ten Commandments, and all the Israelite people are down at the bottom waiting in in grateful anticipation because Moses is going to go talk to God. Well, they get bored, and what do they do? They gather all the precious metal and gold that they could find, and they make for themselves a giant golden calf. And so in Psalm 106, uh, verses 19 and 20, this is what it says. It said, the people made a calf at Mount Sinai. They bowed before for an image made of gold they turned their glorious they traded their glorious god for a statue of a grass eating bull that's just not a good trade they traded the glory of god for the image of a cow and that's what they chose to worship gentlemen i'm going to let the ladies in the room in on a little secret i hope you don't mind you see when 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 we are asked to go to the store to purchase things, as men, we have two guy rules that we need to follow. And uh, if we deviate from those rules, we can get ourselves in a lot of trouble. So there's two guy rules. Here's the first rule. The first guy rule is that we need, when we go shopping for something, when we've got a list of things we need to pick up, we, we need to forget something or get the wrong thing, okay? That's one of the rules. One of the things we need to either just forget, not get it, or get the wrong thing. That's the first rule. The second rule is this. We need to get something that's not on the list, right? Because we're guys. We're hunters. That's what we do. We go, we kill something, we drag it back home. And so those are the rules we have to live by. If we're able to do those two rules, you should get most of what it is that you're looking for. And every now and again, you get a special treat that we found that we've dragged home just for you. And so when I was younger, um, I went shopping for Mel. This was before we had kids. 
And um, it was a much smaller shopping list, which is why Mel allowed me to do it. And, um, and so we, I, I went shopping and was getting all the things. I forgot one of my specific things, which was good. And so now I needed to find something to bring home that wasn't on the list. And as I usually do, I was walking past the meat case. And uh, I saw in one of the cases they were having a huge sale on uh, crab legs. I'm a big seafood fan. And the price was ridiculously good. So I was like, all right, got to get some crab legs here. So I throw them in the bag. That's my one thing. I drag it home. I present it to my wife who doesn't like crab. And uh, I say, look what I have provided for our family slash me. And, um, and so as I'm, as I'm preparing these, these crab legs, I realize as I'm opening up the package, a very important word that I missed when I first purchased them. And it said, imitation crab meat. Now, I don't know that any combination of words could potentially be more horrifying than imitation meat, or any kind of meat for that matter. Uh, We don't actually have any other imitation meats, apparently, than imitation crab meat. We don't find imitation beef or imitation chicken, but we do have imitation crab meat, and... uh, so I was like, well, this is what I got. This is, this is all I've got. So we prepared it and very quickly was able to identify the difference between the counterfeit, between the imitation, and between the real thing. The reality is when we trade in the real deal for an imitation, it's just not a good deal. It's just not a good deal. But food is not the only God of pleasure that we have traded for the authentic comfort or joy, or healing that can be found in God alone? Have you exchanged the peace of God for the comfort of drugs or alcohol? Have you exchanged the satisfaction of Christ for the pleasure of sex? Have you traded healing by the Holy Spirit for the distraction of entertainment, just so you don't have to think about your pain any longer? It's just not a good trade. And it's time to let go and embrace Jesus as the only one who can truly save us. You see, when we turn to, what we turn to for comfort and peace reveals where we put our hope. Where we turn to for comfort and peace reveals what we put our hope in. It reveals what we truly trust. When going to God is a last resort instead of a first response, it tends to reveal that something else or someone else is winning the war in our hearts. When life is hard, when things start to fall apart, where do you turn? Where do you go for comfort? Uh, says a lot, of, and it reveals a lot as to what is most important to you. So after a stressful day or after a long day of sc- uh, or a long screaming evening with your kids, do you go to the refrigerator to find some food for a little comfort? If you receive some disappointing news, do you turn to alcohol to help numb the pain? If you if you have a breakup that's too painful, do you go shopping because you know that if you buy something, you'll feel better? Or when you get some tough financial news, Do you release that anxiety by logging on to a pornographic website? How many times have you flicked a false god of pleasure off the throne of your heart only for a month later, a week later, a day later to find that god of pleasure right back on that throne again? So we stuff ourselves and we promise, I'll never do it again. 
or we log off someplace on the web we shouldn't be, and we say to ourselves, that was the last time. But before long, the desires return, and with it, the God of pleasure that promises satisfaction. The mistake is what, that we make is that we focus so hard on removing that God of pleasure from our heart that we forget to replace it with the one true God. It must be replaced. If we remove one God and we don't replace it with the one true God, another God will happily move right back into its place, or the same God will climb its way right back into the throne of your hearts. So if we remove that God, it has to be replaced. It's not enough just to get rid of it. It must be replaced. When we worship the one true God with all of our hearts, there is no greater pleasure. That is why we were made. When God, comes our, when God becomes our greatest pleasure, then you will find freedom and you will discover what you really wanted all along. Psalm 37, verse 4, it says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and he will give you the desires of your heart. It's very important to make sure you get that right because we love this verse when we like to twist it and manipulate it. It's so easy for us to take a look at this verse and say, God is supposed to give me what I want. But what the verse says is, delight yourself in the Lord and he will then give you the desires of your heart. Do you know what happens when you delight yourself in the Lord? Your desires become his desires. Actually, his desires become your desires. They are the same. And so when we delight ourselves in the Lord and our desires are the same as God desires, then he loves to give us the desires of our heart. Are we surprised that in our culture, the things that we worship in place of God, these false gods, are the things that are the most out of control in our culture? Because often what God will do is he will put himself in direct opposition with these gods because he's not interested in sharing the throne of our heart with anyone else. And so we look at our culture, our food-obsessed culture, and the obesity and all the disease and stuff that comes with it. Are we surprised that this false god of food is in direct competition with God and its suffering in our lives? Are we surprised that in our culture, this notion of, of, of sex and the perversion of sex and all the complications that are taking place, should we be surprised that this is happening when this is one of the gods of pleasure that's in direct competition with God? Should we be shocked that we have such massive financial problems in our country when the God of money is in direct competition with the one true God? The reality is we need to let go of these false gods. And not just let go, but it's got to be replaced with the one true God. We're going to spend some time this morning in prayer. Kim, if you want to come up. And, and what we need to do first is, is identify, ask the Holy Spirit, reveal to me which of these gods of pleasure do I turn to when I need comfort, when I need fun, when I need uh, just release, when I need to just forget about what's going on in the world. Which of these gods of pleasure do I run to? And God, help me to see with clarity how I have traded the reality and the, the true version of God for this false, flimsy imitation version. Next thing that we'll do as we, as we pray is we need to 
deeply and passionately pursue and commit through the power of the Holy Spirit, because that's the only way that it happens, to allow our lives to, to, to allow those false gods to be replaced by the one true God. And instead of focusing and, and constantly fighting, trying to remove those false idols, to put Christ alone at that highest place of honor. So we're going to spend some time in prayer. If you'd bow your heads with me. Father, we come before you in desperate need of the healing of your Holy Spirit. Father, forgive us for allowing these false gods to win the wars in our hearts, Lord God. Forgive us for taking what you have given us as good gifts and turning them into false gods in our lives. Father, this morning as we take a moment in silent prayer, we pray that your Holy Spirit would begin to reveal to us who is it that we turn to for comfort? Who is it that we turn to for happiness? What is it that we turn to for joy in our lives that isn't you? And we give you permission to reveal that in our lives and begin to bring it into healing, Lord. to see clearly some of these gods are so subtle in our life and we think we're just enjoying what you've given us but we have relied too heavily on them to give us things that you alone are supposed to give us Lord God Father but more importantly help us not just to remove those gods from our lives with our own determination and discipline but God by the power of your Holy Spirit and give us the strength that we need to keep our eyes fixed on you and you alone. God, many of us here today need your healing from the damaging effects of these gods in our life. God, the gods of, of pleasure are ones that are so potent, so dangerous in our lives and leave us with such pain and emptiness and hurt in their wake. And so we need your healing this morning, God. Repair hearts and minds that have chemical addiction. Repair hearts and minds that have believed lies that they can only be happy in relationship with someone else, that have believed lies that these things will provide for us comfort and purpose for our lives. Heal us from those lies this morning, Lord God. Father, we thank you that you are patient with us, merciful and gracious and quick to forgive. We need all of that this morning. As we place our lives in your hands and allow you the lordship that you so deserve to guide us and direct us. We thank you for the freedom that we can find in relationship with Christ. Set our souls free, Lord God, from the bondage of these sin things that we worship, Lord God. We love you. We thank you. It's in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen.